Hello, my name's Lachlan. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you for Easter. Thank you for welcoming me into your home. Uh, we're up to day 18 of lockdown. You might be able to tell that from my hair. Due for a haircut, can't go out and get that. I did not think of that before lockdown started. As we come into this weekend, though, of Easter, I can't help but think of the advertising for Corona, the beer. Bear with me on this. You might have seen lots of the memes that were floating around in the early stages of this novel coronavirus that, that featured that beer. The reason I'm thinking of it this weekend is because of their marketing strategy. And it really connects with me because I'm not from Auckland originally, from a coastal region of Australia. I come from a surf culture. And the billboard ads or the YouTube ads for Corona beer, they've got these beautiful golden sunsets. The background is just perfect waves rolling into the lines stacked to the horizon. And then in the foreground, you've got a group of friends relaxing together, smiling together, having a great time. And the slogan comes up on the screen, Corona, from where you'd rather be. From where you'd rather be. So that's what I was thinking of this weekend. And not because you should be drinking lots of beer, don't do that. No, I was thinking of it because I reckon for many of us, there are places we would rather be today. Places we'd rather be for this Easter long weekend than where we are. It might be that you had some holiday plans, some travel plans for this weekend, and you've had to just throw those out the window. Maybe put them on hold, cancel them entirely. Or perhaps your life is such that you're always wishing that you're somewhere different, somewhere better. In the Bible today, we meet a woman who would rather be somewhere different. Her name's Mary Magdalene. And 2,000 years ago, as we've just heard there in John chapter 20, Mary's at a tomb, a grave. That's not a place you go for pleasure. It's not a place you go because you enjoy it. Grave sites are weighty places. They're places of sadness and grief. And that's what Mary's feeling as we meet her today. Her friend, her teacher, Jesus the Nazarene, it's a man that she'd financially backed. She'd traveled with from her hometown, traveled all the way down to Jerusalem. She'd learned lots from him. And a couple of days ago, he'd just been brutally and shamefully executed as a criminal. He had changed her life and now he's dead. Like a good Jewish woman, she's taken her day of Sabbath rest. Now it's the first day of the week. It's a Sunday. So she heads up to, to the tomb early in the morning to find where they put Jesus' body. She gets there and it's empty. Mary sees the empty tomb and she thinks, oh, no, they've, they've come, they've taken his body. As if it wasn't enough sadness that her teacher had died, now his dead body has been, who knows what they've done to it. It's just gone. Insult has been added to injury, salt rubbed into the fresh wound of Jesus' death. Mary can't even properly honour him and grieve him in his death. And so after some of Jesus' other disciples come and go from the tomb, we, we find Mary there in sentence number 11. Have a read with me. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. In the face of death, Mary cries. That's the right thing to do. 
Mary is right to cry. She is right to grieve. It's the first thing I want you to notice in this passage that in the Bible, in Christianity, it is right to be sad at times, particularly in the face of death. The Bible teaches that grief is the right response to sickness and death. Earlier on in this book of John, there was a different Mary who was also crying uh, this time when her brother had died of sickness. And Jesus turns up and he cries with her. It's the shortest verse of the English Bible. Jesus wept. That is how we respond to death, isn't it? That is why we're taking such extreme measures at the moment to try to minimize the death count because we know that death is not good. We want to keep death as far away from ourselves, as far away from others for as long as we can. Now, the person who says that there is no God, yeah, the atheist, they can't quite explain this. For the atheist who thinks that the world and humanity just kind of popped into existence by accident, in that mindset, in that view of the world, death is natural. It's normal. We're just meant to get used to it and make the most of the limited time that we have. But have you noticed that for our politicians who, you know, for the most part don't believe there's a God, who for the most part think that creation just kind of happened to come into being, uh, they're not being consistent with that view of the world at the moment. They're not kind of just making the most of life now because, hey, well, death's going to come to us all anyway. That's not the way we're responding to coronavirus. Instead, we're limiting our pleasure. We're limiting our freedom. Because as much as you might try to say, oh, there is no God and death is just natural, we all know deep down that death is not natural. Death is not normal. And unlike atheism, Christianity teaches that death is an intrusion into our human lives. It doesn't belong here. It's not natural. It's, it's an enemy. Death is an enemy that we wish we could do away with. That's because when God made the world and he made humans in the world, he actually made us to live forever with him. We were made as humans for life that lasts. But those first humans, they weren't content to just be with God. No, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to make up the rules for their lives. And that's what we all do, isn't it? We want to be like God. We want to be God over our lives, deciding for ourselves what is right and wrong. And so as we disobey the life-giving God, as those first humans disobeyed the life-giving God, they were sentenced to absence from his life-giving presence. They were sent away from him. And, and so just like God had warned would happen, death entered into the world that day. And death has been in the world ever since. Humans were not made to die. We were made for life that lasts. And that's why whenever someone dies, we, we feel sad and we cry. Mary, standing outside the tomb of Jesus, that Early morning, she was crying and she was right to be crying because death is evil. 
And maybe today as you tune in, maybe you're crying. Maybe somebody you know has died recently. Maybe you're so terrified of death yourself. Maybe you're just feeling alone and isolated and anxious in this time of lockdown. Well, the Bible says it's okay to cry. Actually, it's right to cry. That's the right response. Mary in John 20 verse 11, she is right to grieve. Death has intruded in upon this world because we have rejected the God who gives life. It's possible though for our grief, our right grief, our appropriate grief, it's possible for that to blind us to reality. Have a look at how that happened for Mary, how she became blinded by her grief. I'm going to read from verse 12. If you have it there in front of you, then you can follow along with me. John 20, verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Two angels. That's pretty extraordinary. But Mary doesn't even blink. She's so caught up in her grief. She doesn't seem to notice the huge moment that this is, that angels are present there. She just goes on. Because they've taken away the Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Mary didn't blink at the angels, and now that the same Jesus that she is crying over is there standing in front of her, and she doesn't see him. She thinks he's the gardener. Now, look, to be fair to Mary, it's not only her grief that has made it hard for her to see reality here. The reality that she's confronted with is mind-blowing, right? The man that she saw die, brutally flogged, then nailed to a bit of wood where he'd hang until he suffocated to death. The reality is that that same man is now standing in front of her alive. That's hard for anyone to accept, whether they're grieving or not. But the evidence is right there in front of her. First the angels, then Jesus himself. As crazy as it might first sound, Jesus has risen from the dead. I wonder what makes that hard for you to believe. Is it that you didn't see it for yourself and you have a hard time trusting the people who say that they did see it? Is it that you've assumed that God doesn't exist and so any event like this that must have a God behind it, well, obviously that can't have happened because God's not real. Is it that you don't want it to be true? Because you're quite happy being the boss of your life and you know that if there is a God then that situation would have to change for you. There are a number of reasons why it might be hard to believe that Jesus came back to life after death, but I'm convinced it actually happened, that this is history. And this passage in John 20 gives me one of the reasons why I'm convinced that this happened. See, in the first century, amongst the Jews and the Romans, women were not trusted as eyewitnesses. I'm thankful for where we are today that we've changed our view and that we're living in a society that recognizes and values women. 
But back in the first century, that, that wasn't the case. One of the Jewish writers of that time, his name's Josephus, he says very plainly, listen to this, let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. I'm not sure what he saw as women's levity and boldness, but it's clear that in general society at that time, women are not valid witnesses. Now, here's why that matters. So if you were living in the first century and you were going to make up a religion, you were going to invent a fictional religion that has as one of its core elements, your religious leader coming back to life again after being dead, and that's what a lot of people think Christianity is, just an invented religion. If you were inventing this religion in the first century, you would not make up women as the first eyewitnesses of an event as important as this. Does that make sense? If you're trying to persuade people that Jesus rose from the dead, you'd make up some good witnesses, some respected witnesses, not women. Now, look, maybe they were just real clever and they thought 2000 years in the future, hey, I reckon down the track, some people will be pretty persuaded if we make a woman the first witness of this event of Jesus rising from the dead. Maybe that's what happened, but I doubt it. Much more likely, Jesus actually did come back to life again after death. Much more likely, the first witness actually was this woman, Mary, at the tomb, crying. That would have been embarrassing for the Christians to write into the story at that time, but they were convinced of the truth and they wanted to represent the truth. And so they wrote what actually happened. Friends, don't be blinded to the historical reality that Jesus really did come back to life after being dead for two days. Mary, like us, found that hard to believe. This wasn't what she was expecting. She knew that dead people stay dead. But then with one little word, she's woken up from her grief. She's woken up from her disbelief and she sees reality. Have a look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus calls her by her name and she recognizes his voice. The blindness lifts and she's filled with joy, with amazement. She still doesn't quite understand what's happening though. Have a look at what Jesus says to her in verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. It sounds like Mary is clinging to Jesus. As if perhaps in her joy she's fallen down and hugged his legs or his feet. Maybe she hasn't done that physically, but emotionally in her heart and in her feelings, she's clinging to Jesus. It sounds like she thinks that Jesus is back in the same way that he was there before he died. Like, oh great, now things can go back to how they were before. But Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me. Don't cling to the past. This is something new. And we need to understand this about Jesus' resurrection. It's what we call this event when Jesus came back to life after death, resurrection. We need to understand that this was something brand new. 
This wasn't a resuscitation where Jesus then kind of lived out his earthly life and and died again another 30 years later or so. That didn't happen. No, Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. He was off to his father in heaven. He had risen to new life, true life, life that lasts forever. He had defeated death. He'd overcome it, that evil enemy that gives us such a grief. Jesus had been through death, come out the other side, never to be hit by death again. And he hadn't just done that for himself. He'd beaten death. He brought life for anyone and everyone who would trust in him. See how verse 17 goes on. Jesus says to Mary, go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus has entered into the eternal life of God and he's opened up the way for us to enter into that life as well. God can once more now be our God and our Father. The God who we had all rejected, rebelled against, the the God that we wanted to be like rather than be with. Well, now the invitation comes. We can be with him again forever. It might be hard to imagine what that will be like to be with God forever. One of the old songs in the Bible, it's called Psalm 16. It gives such a beautiful description of what that is going to be like. Have a listen to Psalm 16. This is the last few verses, verse 9 to 11. It says, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. That's what Jesus offers. A path to life that lasts. Abundant joy in the presence of God. Eternal pleasures at the right hand of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that allows us to be glad and rejoice even when life is hard now. It allows us to rest securely even when we're confronted with death. Because for those who trust in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, then death is no longer the final word. If you trust in Jesus, then like Jesus, your grave will one day be empty. You'll be raised with him in a new body, into new life, to join God, your father, for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? What pleasures have you missed out on this weekend? I I haven't had any hot cross buns this weekend. I haven't had any Easter eggs. I miss those. Those are good things. Uh, I had a holiday planned with my wife. We were going to head off and and visit our family. We've had to cancel that. There's lots to miss. But as a Christian, those pleasures are not ultimate. They're good things to be thankful for when they come and when we get to enjoy them. But as a Christian, my pleasure lies in the future. My pleasure is with Jesus in the presence of God And because Jesus has risen to new life, lasting life, and I know that that beyond death, that that same life is waiting for me, that means I can rejoice now, even when life is hard. I can rest secure because nothing is taking that pleasure away. 
Now, it's not because I've done anything to deserve that. It's just because Jesus has invited me into that life with him. Nothing special about me. I'm no better than anyone else. I'm as bad of a sinner as you, perhaps even worse. But Jesus has invited me as a sinner to come and join him in life forever. And Jesus invites you as well. That very same Jesus who stood there 2,000 years ago and called Mary by name. Today, he calls you by name. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He, he knows your name. And he's inviting you to stop clinging to this world. Stop clinging to temporary pleasure. He's inviting you to come to God, to come to your God, your heavenly father, and enjoy lasting life with him. Stop trying to be like God, deciding for yourself what's right and wrong. Come back to be with God. To be with the the all-wise, all-loving, almighty God and be with him forever. We'll come back to that question at the start. Where, Where would you rather be today? It's right that we cry and we grieve in the midst of a world where death is so near. But don't let that grief blind you to reality. Jesus has historically truly risen from the dead. He's risen to life that lasts and he's invited you to join him in that life. And so at the end of John chapter 20, we read, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The question is, do you believe that Jesus is the king God himself in the flesh. Do you believe that? If you do, you have life with Jesus. I'm going to end by praying. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer that you might like to join me in today. If this is the first time that you've acknowledged that Jesus rose from the dead, you want to accept his invitation to life that lasts with God, then you might pray along with me. I'm going to say sorry to God. Sorry for trying to be like him, for trying to replace him and and live as if I'm God. Then I'll say thank you. Thank you that Jesus defeated death, that he now offers new life. And then I'll ask God saying, please, please forgive me. Please be my God. And if you want to accept Jesus' invitation of, of life today, then pray to God with me. Say amen at the end. Amen just means I agree. That's what I want too. Why don't we pray? Almighty God, our maker, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been living with you as God. I'm sorry that I've tried to be like you, deciding for myself what's right and wrong when you've already said what's good and bad. I know I've offended you. I know I've shamed you. I know that I deserve to die. Thank you that Jesus came, that you turned up as a human to die for me and rise to new and lasting life. Thank you for freely inviting me to be with you forever. 
with eternal pleasure and joy in your presence. That's an amazing invitation. So God, please, please forgive me. Please be my God. I'll stop trying to play God. I'll give my life back to you. Be my God. Lead me in your ways. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.